jumping into our review Netflix's you know Netflix they get in on the award stuff they find these little projects that are you know award buzzy and they they latch onto them they did it with Marriage Story they did it with Roma they've done it with a few and this year they've got The Power of the Dog as well as a couple of other films coming their way that are getting some award buzz but today the one that we're actually talking about is The Power of the Dog so I am on synopsis because Kirk did the King Richard synopsis. Make sure you go back and listen to that review if you haven't checked that one out. And it's about to leave HBO Max if it hasn't already. So go see it. Go go watch the movie and then listen to the review. But today we're talking about the power of the dog and I am going to synopse. So here we go. This movie's a trip. Basically, what we've got is two brothers who have inherited a ranching gig from their family they've inherited a ranch and a bunch of livestock and some cow hands and the two brothers are phil and then um oh i can't even remember the other guy they just always call him mr burbank uh, benedict his name is benedict <laughs> no it's not phil is <laughs> phil is played by by benedict cumberbatch oh it'll, that's right it'll come to me but anyway phil is sort Todd. of our is yeah todd that's played by jesse plemons but we've got benedict cumberbatch and jesse plemons they're running this ranching business as they're going through the business uh the the brother played by jesse plemons uh meets kirsten dunst they get married they you know kind of do this business together and she has a son from her previous marriage she's a widow and Phil sort of starts to take that son underneath his wing to kind of teach him how to be what in his mind is like a proper man, you know, a ranch man, teach him how to do uh, all of those things. And so there's all these, you know, on the surface, it's a very basic story. It's like two brothers, guy meets girl, the other brother doesn't like the girl, the other, you know, Phil has issues with the boy, but then decides to take him under his wing. You know, it's pretty simple, but there's all these character dynamics and these different stories. And it's one of these things where each of these four main characters in this movie has a very specific perspective on everything that's happening around them. And they turn into these competing forces. And so then it's just a matter of kind of who ends up in the most advantageous position in the end. (laughs) What ends up happening is so Phil is, rude to the son peter uh he like the kirsten dunst's son peter he's rude to him at the beginning because he thinks he's like not a man he's got a lisp he you know he's a little bit um he's he's not what you would consider a man's man whatever that is but you know he's just he doesn't like doing manual labor he's not a ranch hand he's not anything like that and so he picks at him and makes fun of him and they have this really tenuous relationship But then over time, he decides, I'm going to take this guy under my wing, just like my mentor, Bronco Henry, took me under his wing, and I'm going to formulate this relationship. Well, as it turns out, uh, old Peter didn't forget about (laughs) that whole situation, and and it ends with a revelation in which Phil dies, and it appears that Peter was responsible for Phil's death by subjecting him to anthrax poisoning. So it is a wild finish, a wild ride, Lots of different character dynamics going into it. A lot of that probably didn't make sense unless you've watched the movie, but here we are, Power of the Dog. Kirk, did I miss anything? I'm sure I did. Not really. Uh, not really, because uh, this is this is a slow one. This is a slow one with... Um, it's a slow it's, burn, yeah. There's there's enough dialogue, but man, do does the story get told with just um, 
being in the same place as one another or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Peter absolutely, absolutely off to Benedict Cumberbatch. It's one of those movies. Savage way. Yeah. It's a, it's a slow burn, but it, it builds to this ending where at the end you realize what's happened and you realize that, by the way, George is the name of the other brother that's played by Jesse yes. Clemens. I just remembered that. But you get to the point where you, you know, Phil dies and you're like, hmm, that's weird. I wonder what's what's going on in this movie. And then you see the smile on Peter's face and you're like, oh, snap. He killed him. And then you put all the pieces together and you're like, you know, it's like one of those mind explosion <laughs> moments where all yeah. the pieces were there the whole time. And you just didn't really pay any attention to them because they seemed insignificant, but they weren't. So mm-hmm. it is very interesting. But let's dive into it because like we said, it's getting a ton of award buzz. We're going to talk about who the best actors in this movie are, if they're award caliber uh, performances, and then we're going to talk about the movie itself. So let's get into it. I'm going to kick us off, and I'm going to start with my best actor, which goes to the guy in the picture sitting next to my head, and that's Benedict Cumberbatch, who plays Phil. Phil, man, this what a character, and what a character study performed by Benedict Cumberbatch, who is one of the best in the biz right now. He can do <laughs> so much, but... What I loved about Phil is, you know, to Kirk's point earlier, this movie is not particularly dialogue heavy. So every line that is delivered has to accomplish something. That's one of the things about this movie is like everything is, there's no waste. There's no filler. Everything that happens happens for a reason. Every line that's delivered has to be delivered in a very intentional way to get the point across and to deepen the character study, deepen the character analysis and make it effective. And nobody in this cast did a better job than Benedict Cumberbatch. He was sort of, for all intents and purposes, the main character of this four, this group of four. And he has this very bombastic personality. He's there's so many things going on with this character. Like he's incredibly intelligent. They said he went to Yale and graduated um, with honors and things like that. But now he's this ranch hand. He's inherited this ranch from his parents and he's really into the cowboy life. He had this, mentor Bronco Henry who's passed away and they had sort of a you know like an old Greek type of relationship if you catch my drift like there was uh, a romantic relationship built into their uh, mentor relationship as well and he's got all of these things going on and and it it just leads to a really in-depth character study who you know in the end he meets his demise but he builds it up to this really perfect, well-rounded character with every line he delivers, you can tell what the subtext is. You can tell how he's feeling. You know, he's a character who is incredibly intelligent and wants to exert his authority over others, but also wants to show that he's good at doing the stuff that other people can do. Like, oh, I'm super smart and I could have just done the business side of the ranch thing, but I'm going to actually learn how to do the ranch side of things. And so with every line, with every facial expression and physical notion, Benedict Cumberbatch is building this character in such a rich way with such little dialogue. So it's impressive. And there's a reason that he's getting Oscar buzz. I think he might be my front runner right now, based on what I've seen, even over Will Smith in King Richard. Um, Cause I really thought this performance was a masterclass and Benedict Cumberbatch was on fire. So that's my pick Benedict Cumberbatch as Phil Burbank. Yeah, Benedict really brings it. He he does a, a very good job of letting us know that he's grappling with his identity. He of 
of, of asserting power of manipulating people, but not like outright. It's very, it's very crafty in, in how he does it. It could have been very easy for him to just say, where are my hides at? You know, and uh, instead of um, figuring out, Oh, I know exactly what's going on. Where is she? You know, he, he's talking about uh, Kirsten Dunst when, when she sells off the hides uh, that he was going to keep and then burn instead of give away for someone to use, you know? So it's very, it's very fascinating. All the little, uh, little pieces he puts together because he's always, always crafting. He's always watching because he feels like everyone uh, one day might unveil his secret. So he has to figure out other people first. And it's just really great. Wonderful job, Benedict. All righty, Kirk. What's your pick? My pick is Miss Kirsten Dunst. Nice. Bring it on. Bring it on. Toro Shore number one, Kirsten Dunst. I mean, come on. When's the last time you saw a movie with Kirsten Dunst and you were just like, wow, that was awesome? Um, I mean, for me, it, it's, you know, Spider Man. It, for me, it was uh, bring it on. It's from her her glory days, right? And she's done lots of different work in between there and now. Um, one of the biggest pieces that kind of brought her back into the realm of uh, uh, of consideration as as a serious actor was this movie called uh, was it Melancholy Melancholia, where it was a kind of the surreal movie where the world was ending and like a planet was colliding. And this right here is what we needed from Kirsten Dunst. This was absolutely impressive, impressive work. With her character, the mother, she befriends first uh, Mr. Jesse Plemons, who is her real-life spouse or at least partner in life. They have two sons together. And then... um, they become they become married out of the blue. Uh, they they meet for a little bit and then they they get married on a random Sunday, uh, which is par for the course for when you're uh, in 1908, whatever the the year is. You know, there's not a lot of options because especially when you're in the desert, kind of like in in this uh, particular case. But what she does and how she's affected and her full arc is so wonderful. She comes in as this. This broken woman, but hopeful. She's a widow. She has her son with her. She she runs this little restaurant for ranchers that come in to help support their little town, their little uh, their little piece of paradise. And when when Benedict comes in and realizes that he his life is being threatened, uh, his secrets are being threatened because another person is coming into. He had a good thing with just him and his brother and running their team of people. Uh, their house is giant, but Kirsten Dunst comes in and is not a threat but he sees her as one and so he starts to little by little just tear her down and tear her down and tear her down and we see the joy sucked from her life she becomes uh, she begins to cope um in in you know bad ways but she had she doesn't know what to do she's isolated her life is flipped done flip turn upside down and seeing her go from this joyous person um to still trying to hold onto that sanity and become this alcoholic and sink deeper and deeper into just uh, depression, but still like trying to climb out with, with her son, her son, Peter comes in and she's like, Oh my goodness, uh, Peter, I'm so glad to have you. Like life is great, isn't it? And she's lying through her teeth and is just so amazing what she has crafted in in this movie. I never thought I'd see ever a performance like that from Kirsten Dunst. She wins the Oscar. I really, really hope she gets a best supporting nod from the Academy because it was really quite wonderful. It's a great pick, Kirk. It's a great pick. I, I, I love Kirsten Dunn's performance. I, 
my only thing was I wanted I wanted so much more. You know, it, it is a great supporting performance, but it was like that character had so much, and I just was like, I was I wanted more. I don't know what like got cut from the film, but she was so great, and it was so great to see her on screen doing her thing, um, acting at a level that we all know that she's very capable of. And and again, you know this the crux of this story is these four characters and it gives you a chance to do these really deep, really detailed character studies. And she like Benedict Cumberbatch and really like each of our four uh, leads uh, smashed it out of the park. All right, moving on to scene stealer. I have to go with Cody Smith McPhee who played Peter Gordon. Um, I thought this performance out of the four well, didn't have the highest level of difficulty, but was the most crucial to the effect of the film because at each point, really with all of these characters, you have to try to read what's going on in their head and the subtext that's going on with them is just, it's direct, but it's just its just ambiguous enough to that at any point you're like, oh, you know, using Kirsten Dunst's character as an example, like, oh, uh, Mrs. Gordon Rose, you know, she loves George. Oh, wait, she's in it for the money. Oh, wait, no, she does love him. Oh, no, wait, she's in it for the money. And there's all this going on in the background until you kind of like start to figure it out. But with Cody, his whole thing is that he has to, he has to balance leaving it open-ended enough to where we can both believe that he is cool with Phil, even after their earlier spats, but also believe that he was playing him the whole time when the reveal happens at the end. And it turns out that he was actually responsible for his death, which is not explicitly stated. It's just highly hinted at by the finale of the film. And so he has to keep that open-ended enough to where the whole time we're like buying it, buying it, buying it. Oh, he's okay with Phil. Now he's, you know, put it behind him and he really wants to learn about being a ranch hand. He's kind of, he's kind of into this whole mental relationship and this lifestyle and things like that. But then to also at the end go, Oh no, wait, he was never into it. He was playing him. This was all the long game. He wanted him dead the whole time. And he wanted to, as he, as it was said, as he said, his character at the very beginning of the movie, just him talking yeah, for what kind of man would I be if I didn't protect my mother? He had to fulfill that mission, and that was his plan from the very beginning. And to balance that and to deliver a performance that keeps the audience engaged the whole time, but then at the end also, you know, you've left enough clues for them to put the puzzle pieces together is really well done. It's it's perfect, and it is the most crucial part by far of the effectiveness of this story. It has to be nailed in order for the story to work. And he nailed it. He really did. And he, he could very well be lined up for an Oscar nom on his own. Like this whole cast is, is going to be fighting for it, to be honest, in my opinion. So really good mm-hmm. job. Cody Smith McPhee. Yep. I mean, I, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Todd Plemons wasn't great. Jesse enough. Plemons. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Todd, of course, is his evil, horrifying character from Breaking Bad that haunted our dreams. Still does. <laughs> because he's one of the most evil characters ever written into oh, television man. history. Um, so I think that, I think that Todd Plemons dropped the ball a little bit. That Jesse was just Plemons. a little, dang it. Jesse Plemons was just a little, uh, just a, not enough for me. Not enough for me. And let's talk real quick, real snippet. I mean, I, 
I mean, when they started calling each other brother, I felt more of like, uh, you're my brother, you know, Rick Grimes, Daryl Dixon, you're my brother. You know, that's what I thought they were. And then it was like, oh no, they're like real, like blood brothers here. I just didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. I know it's written in there, but I, it just, I didn't feel that. How about you? Well, he's, his character is exceptionally dumb. I think that's part of the point. So like, I think at times when it feels like there's not much, uh, this is my interpretation at times Mm -hmm. when it feels like there's not much expression coming from his character or there's not much thought. It's because there's not like his character (laughs) just really is dumb. I mean, Phil calls him fatso and dummy and calls him all these things throughout the movie. And you know, he, he a lot of times doesn't even know what to say. Like Phil's constantly being like, why does it seem like it pains you to, what does he say, to stitch two words together? Or he's like, yeah, yeah. come on, open your yapper, let's go. I think he just <laughs> generally like doesn't <laughs> know what to say because there's not much going on in his head. But yeah, I think out of the four, he's he's not the standout by yeah. any means. But, um, you know, his character also just didn't have as much to do. But his character still had a had a story purpose, but it just wasn't at the same level as the others. It's true. It's true. Which is why for my scene stealer, I also picked Cody Smith McPhee. Yeah. He is just, he's great. I love, I love how creepy he is. <laughs> um, him like uh, playing around with the animals and he's like, how am I going to learn to be a doctor? I got, I got to figure this out. I've got to study. And he's just like opening up this rabbit that he just caught it on his like desk in the house uh, out of nowhere. It's like super, super creepy stuff. If you ever seen, you know, the movie, the lobster, um, the killing of a sacred deer. We get those those vibes of a troubled child, but those are like really like kids in the, in those sense. Even like if you've seen Ozark, you know the little boy goes through a phase where he's like super creepy, and you're like, get away from me, uh, get some pet cemetery vibes, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but he's older, like he's he's an adult. He's like a young adult, uh, but he he really does play this um carefree at the beginning of it his arc is fantastic he's carefree he's just helping his mom out um just going through life you know goes away comes back is trying to do right by everyone is able to befriend phil um and able able to kind of get in his head and man he's just a mastermind he's an absolute mastermind um the, the the writing of that is so good but it wouldn't have been possible without him choosing so uh, so specifically on how he would also manipulate the master manipulator Phil and those kinds of choices are super important and he did such a good job um, there and at the end of it I mean uh, he, he was he was torn down by uh, by being judged by Phil in front of this group of men uh, who who you, when you have such a small world that is your whole world so if you're getting ridiculed by just like these 10 guys uh, who are all ranchers you just think like this is who I am now and this is my entire life and then maybe he could have lived with that but as soon as his mom started going downhill he's like nah nah you made a big mistake and then he cooked up the anthrax and killed Benedict Cumberbatch so bravo Cody Smith McPhee yeah man what a what a performance what a what a wild what a wild ride with that character. I, I totally agree with all you have to say there. Um, let's jump into Showstopper. Let's talk about this production a bit. For me, and I don't know if this is annoying, you guys can tell me later or you can tell me in the chat right now if you're on the stream, but I don't have a specific Showstopper so much as I've, as I just really like the sum of all the parts of this movie. So like it's a, a screenplay, Jane Campion, the director, adapted the screenplay from a book and this really, this whole thing sort of plays out, in my opinion, sort of like a one-act play 
where you've got um, four characters. They've all got their different motives. You're learning all of their stories from their perspective, but you're also learning the collective story. Um, but the whole production on the whole comes together in a really tight, consistent way. The Johnny Greenwood score, Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, one of my favorites of all time and one of the most genius musicians on the planet. Uh, he conducted the score for this. He also conducted the score for Phantom Thread, if you guys saw that, uh, with Daniel Day-Lewis. He also conducted the score for Spencer, the movie that's out right now with uh, Kristen Stewart uh, playing Princess Diana. Really solid score. Really great cinematography and production design. The lighting, the shots, the natural textures, really beautiful. Um, the, the dialogue was minimalist dialogue, but intentional. This whole thing was rife with intentionality. Just everything we're doing has to be for a reason. There can be no wasted frames. There can be no wasted moments. Everything has to come together at the end, and you have to be able to go, this is why that was in there. Um, and so the way that that all comes together really is my showstopper. This, like Each part on its own, you look at it and you go, it's impressive. But when it's all together, it's like, wow, this is a really beautiful piece of cinema. I think that really, it was just very cinematic in nature too with the shots that they were doing. They were they were not, you know, they weren't lazy with the shot choices. They were being detailed in who was in focus, out of focus, where the lighting was. Um, it was just really well pieced together. And so the sum of all those parts is my showstopper. I just think it's really tight production all around. Hmm. Kirk. Very good, very good. My showstopper comes down to cinematography. This has a little bit of a, a Chloe Zhao feel mm-hmm. for it because of the beautiful sweeping landscapes because they're out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you see <clears throat> you see the dog, right? Basically, the, the mountain range right there. That's the dog uh, with his jaw wide open right there ready for the take. Um Meaning means a lot more right now because it's literally about to snap him uh, and kill him. So (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, Yeah. The the sweeping landscapes that they do, they don't, it doesn't make sense how beautiful they are when, whether they're just like randomly driving to, um, to the new, the new city uh, that they're going to, whether they're driving back from, from Sunday, right. Uh, uh, Todd, Todd, Jesse Plemons and, um, and Kirsten Dunst Rose. So there, there's just, there's not a lot of them though, too. So like when I think of, when I say Chloe Zhao and I think of Nomadland, it's like most of that were these just beautiful widescreen epic shots from like 100 yards away that just were framed perfectly. In this one, there's only about five or six, but they're so memorable. And then like Cameron said, they're so intentional that they just capture you. And you're like, what am I, why am I looking at this? And why am I looking at this now? This would be a great film to watch back a second time and to like, mark okay what just happened why am i seeing these five or six frames and what's about to happen because that alone is going to tell us where where we're going either what happened before it's either going to dictate exactly what what happened in the scene before if it was ambiguous or exactly what's happening next and i bet you the crumbs are louder than we thought uh with with peter and his uh his secret plan to kill uh, uh phil throughout all of this so those those moments those big moments the dog specifically that's the only one that's actually called out but there are these other ones where there's like lanterns uh kind of in in the distance you can see the little houses on the the hillsides and it's it's really really beautiful to watch and i'm gonna have to watch it again now i've just kind of i just convinced myself yeah so i did watch it twice and actually that would be 
that would be my recommendation to everybody. Like you're saying, Kirk, watch it twice because the second time around, once you know how the story comes together, you, there's just so much more to get out of it. There's a ton with lighting with Phil's character of like, you know, they tell you with the lighting when he's putting up the facade and when he's his real genuine self, whether he's sort Excellent. of shaded in complete darkness, incomplete light, etc. Really smart stuff. Tons of little crumbs, crumb trail for us to follow to get to that point. But it's just crafty enough to where I just don't think, I don't know, maybe you're a super genius and you get there the first time. Like I, I did not pick it up the first time. I think it's crafted in a way that you're not really supposed to get it the first time, but that when you do, you're like, Oh snap. You know, I think that's the effect that they're really going for. Um, but yeah. And and on the cinematography that you're talking about specifically, here's something really cool about this one that I like. You see these movies that are in these, like, you know, this, this takes place in 1925 in the middle of God forsaken. No, nowhere's land, you know, where people are doing cattle drives and stuff like that. And so what you expect is just Brown, Brown, more Brown, similar to what you see in the picture here. If you're watching on the stream, well, they are in that setting most of the time, but the way that they differentiate it with colors is by using the natural light, sunrise, midday, sunset, evening, like there's all these different natural colors that come into play whenever you just let the sun do its thing. And they, they did that in a way to really differentiate the tone and the, or not the tone, but like the, the texture of the film and the colors that were at play. And it was really, really smart for all the reasons that you said, uh, in your showstopper Kirk. Um, Let's move into director shoes. Let's talk about the other side. For me, it is the fact that the effect comes at the very end of the movie. It is a really satisfying payoff, but <laughs> there's like there's a moment when you know you're close to the end of the movie and there hasn't been resolution and there hasn't even really been a build or or massive conflict or anything like that. There's just been a few events like Phil dying is just like one scene he's, he's sick. Let's get him to the doctor. Next scene, George is looking at coffins, you know? So they don't really give you much time to like feel the conflict of like, oh, this person's dying or whatever. Like there's a few screaming matches and stuff like that, but the conflict is is pretty low. So like the emotional dynamic stays, you know, kind of like a, a little pulse line throughout. It's like pretty, it's, it's mostly flat. And then at the end it goes, <laughs> because you've just gotten this massive effect of like, oh my gosh, what just happened? But because of that, you know, you're you're 10, 15 minutes away from the end of the movie and you're like, all right, what did I just watch? <laughs> you know, like they're wrapping this up. Nothing super climactic is going to happen. And of course it does in literally the last three frames of the movie. But before that, you are left in this position of like, what did I miss? What was the point? And it just kind of leaves you in this narrative limbo where you're like, uh, I don't know how to feel about this. And of course it all comes together at the end, but for that period of time, it's like a really uncomfortable, frustrating watching experience because most films really do have like a, you know, start flat, build, 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 climax, resolve. And this movie has none of that. It's just flat, 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 bang, no resolve, you're out. And so that is just a different experience overall. And while the effect is really good, the the bit before it is uncomfy <laughs> to, to, in my opinion so that's that's my director's shoes excellent point excellent point so excellent that it's also mine nice one of mine <laughs> um yeah the, you don't have enough to 
I don't know, care about all the characters enough uh, in this movie. There's, there's not a really, a, a really strong catharsis by the end of this because you didn't go through life much with them. I think that's why I connected with Kirsten Dunst so easily because I'm like, dang, look at what's going on with her. <laughs> like, check her out. Like, life is, life is up and down, and and she's the one, right? Um, and you see the other ones who are. Uh, a dumb and oblivious uh, Jesse Plemons and you have the one who is the monster uh, Phil Benedict Cumberbatch and you have in the background just trying to figure life out uh, Phil right I'm sorry um, Jody so who plays Peter so we have all all of these things that really are not accumulating fast enough for me uh, when I watch this movie not that I'm opposed to slow movies there's tons of slow movies that I'm sure would uh, slow paced movies I should say that would bore people to tears that are some of my absolute favorites where they are just uh, captivating in a different way Um, and I have to say also that I don't feel like the ranchers were fully um, fully utilized correctly because we know they're ranchers we know they're they're, you know, they're, they're killing, they're not killing animals, but they're, they're, they're taking care of animals until, until they don't need to anymore. Then there's this, the side, the side hustle with, with the Native Americans where there's this conflict there, but it's not really extrapolated on, you know, there's like all these other kind of random things thrown in that really weren't important enough. And that though, in my, in my opinion, and in those moments of fluff, even though they were brief, it was like, well, how does that specific moment play into the psyche and the growth or what we need to see in, uh, Phil's level of control, right? It helped motivate uh, of his destruction and Kirsten Dunn's ultimate fall, but it really, it really could have been done in any other way. Um, maybe it's back to the music, back to the piano and the banjo. Um, there were, there were other ways in my opinion, uh, again, because I'm an Academy Award winning director. I feel like I can say that. And what I want, what I wanted out of this film was more clarity because sometimes when, when you make films like this, you rely a little bit too much on the empty space. And these, these films are already not for me because I kind of hate this era of 1920, uh, and not enough to do, you know, uh, there's a movie I recently watched also came out on Netflix, the dig with Ray Fiennes and Carey Mulligan and Lily James. And I was like, it was a good story, but I hate that, that genre. Like I hate that time period. So, um, I'm a little jaded just because I'm not interested, but I also feel like there's a way to make to capture me, and I wasn't quite there with this one. Yeah, good points, good points all around, and I think it's going to be going to be interesting to sort of wrap it up. So, final thoughts and scores. I'm going to go ahead and go. Uh, here's the thing: normally, I will criticize a movie if the effect the first time around is not good enough but the effect the second time around is like, oh, it all makes sense. This time I'm not going to because I really, I watched it the second time and had such a much more enhanced viewing experience, picking up all the things, all the things that I thought were filler were actually not. I mean, a good example of that is there's a part where uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character is talking to all the ranch hands and he's like, we need to go out, we need to do all these things and we need to get the Native Americans off the land and... We, we can't be dealing with anybody trying to buy stuff from us. We don't sell stuff here. So we're not selling hides. We're not selling anything like that. And then later in the movie, two Native Americans roll through and they want to buy the hides. And Kirsten Dunst, filled with rage against Phil, is like, oh, you can buy those hides. You can buy those hides. And that's what 
sends the death spiral that ends up the hides are gone. Oh wait, you know, Peter's got these hides. They're poisoned with anthrax. He works on them without gloves. He's got the cut on his hand. Like the pieces fit together so incredibly well. And the second time you're just, you're the Leonardo DiCaprio meme uh, from once upon a time in Hollywood, the whole time pointing at the screen with your cigarette in your hand. You're like, Oh, Oh, that's, that's this, that's that. And so the second time through, you realize there, there just really isn't a ton of filler and it's such a much more enjoyable watching experience. So the only thing I will really ding it for is that first time through watching it, you go, you know, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> like I get the effect. It's powerful. It's cool at the end, but then like the rest of that stuff, what was the point of that? But the second time through, it really starts to come into focus. And I just think that from the score, all the stuff I talked about in my showstopper, the score, the cinematography, the production design, the acting, the the dialogue, everything is is pulled together in such a intentional way. It's it's really really a detail oriented piece of art, which is something that a lot of times you just see details sort of fall to the wayside. Maybe they get lost in the edit, maybe they get lost somewhere along in the production uh, process. But you know this stuff all held together. And maybe that's because it's partially adapted from a book. It probably would have been much more impressive to me if it was an original screenplay, because I'm sure the book laid the framework for a lot of this stuff. But as a film, it ends up having a really effective finale and it has really high rewatchability, which a lot of these things don't because you can rewatch this and pick up different things and, um, you know, really get into, you, you could watch it, four different times and just focus on one of the four characters and figure out everything that they're going through, you know, and what their motives are, et cetera. And you get a totally different viewing experience. And so for once, I actually think that having to watch the movie multiple times to appreciate it is a benefit. And I I can't remember the last time I was really in that camp, but for this one, I am. So for me, oh man, I've been waffling. I've been waffling on a score. It's <laughs> it's high, but I, I don't know how high. I, I think I'm going to go 9.0. I'm going to put it in the nines, just barely, just barely in the nines. Um, it's good. It's put together. I think it's the kind of movie that if it wins Best Picture, people will be like, what? That's the best <laughs> movie of the year? You know, I think it's going to be a really divisive thing, but... I think if you're if you're into it and you see what they're going for and you buy into it, it can be really effective. And you know, to your point, Kirk, if you don't like westerns or or you know that era, you're not going to like it. If you don't like slow burns, you're not going to like. There are lots of different factors at play that just like will put you out of this movie and sort of take you out of wanting to look for those details and things like that. But um, for me, I think it all comes together really nicely. And so it's a 9.0 out of 10. It's been a long time since I've given that wow. one. Wow. Wow. 9.0. 9.0. Mm, we are going to have very different scores, my friend. <laughs> Let's see. Very different. Let's find out. Yeah. I love how you said it. Yeah. I, I don't have the buy-in on this movie. I just don't. Um, I can respect the things that they were doing. But ultimately, the way it was crafted wouldn't is not my cup of tea. Uh, I think that you, it does have an incredible twist and not just a twist for twist's sake. It really is only there 
to uh, enhance the storytelling. It is only there to really give us an understanding of where these characters' heads were at. I, I, I fully believe that. I don't, I don't feel like the writer of this book was like, I'm going to write something with a twist better than the sixth sense. <laughs> like that's not the goal. And, and that that's why it's such a good uh, twist at the end. When you see, when you see that rope and you see Peter with the gloves on because, and he slides it under yep. for safekeeping is like, who's next? Come at my mom. I, I dare you. <laughs> right. So I think that all of that said, it's, um, Ah, it's really just not for me. It's really just not for me. I wish it was, um, and not to, it's ter- It's not fair to compare movies, but, uh, in here in, in 2021, if we look at this and we look at King Richard with Will Smith, we have both movies are, uh, are the, these vehicles for these powerhouses, King Richard, Will Smith, power of the dog or El Poder del Perro, if you want to say the Spanish name, because it's just fun. I've been dying to say that this entire episode. Uh, You have Benedict Cumberbatch at the wheel. And in one film, in King Richard, you have this feel-good, inspirational, um, just kind of biopic. And in this, in The Power of the Dog, you have this study of people and what what makes people break and what are people what are people willing to how they're showing their cards and how does it affect not only the people around you because Phil destroyed people, but he also destroyed himself uh, all the way down to his death. Uh, the, is is he responsible for his death? Absolutely, because of how he treated people. Is Peter responsible for Phil's death? Absolutely, because he killed Phil. So there's a lot of good stuff here. But all that said, my score can't be up up at uh, Cam's level. And brace yourself, Cam. My score is a 5.8 out of 10 kernels. Wow. So, and that's fine. I'm I'm good with it. I, I, like, I want you to have a different opinion than me. I would be mad if you were close to me. A lot of times I'm like... Oh man, me and Kirk's scores were close. People are going to think we're not that different. We're going to think we don't have different tastes. But it's always like movies like this, movies like Nomadland, these movies that are like, like way more art over narrative type stuff that we we tend to differentiate on, and that's good. But like, you, do you see the technical merit in it? Like, is Absolutely. that yeah? You see the technical merit in it, but then you're just like, well, as a as an entertainment product. It's not there, and I, and I think that's fair. I think that's yeah. A fair let's compare. Critique. Let's compare it again to like a movie like The Kitchen, which we both absolutely <laughs> despised. Terrible technical, yeah, yeah. terrible acting, terrible everything. Right, so yeah. you get you get about halfway there with. I mean, it's probably less. You get you get so far with technical ability, and then there has to be magic, and then there yep. has to be uh, just the the story has to come together in a different yeah. way, and it didn't get there for me. Yeah, I think I think like. I'm learning. I'm learning about you, Kirk, and I'm sure you're learning about me too. But I think like we will, you and I will excuse different things. You know, there are things that you excuse that I do not. Like Space Jam is a good example. Like we have different views on that, and there are things that you will that I will excuse that you will not. And it's (laughs) it's so interesting. But I love it. That's that's what makes this fun. Um, Like I said, if this thing wins Best Picture, I don't know if it will, but you will be among the people shaking your fists at the people who made that decision. I will. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> to be honest, like, I don't think it's my pick for for best picture right now. To be honest with you, I, I kind of think the best movie I've seen this year might be Pig. But um, we'll 
we'll see. We'll get closer and, and we'll see more. And West Side Story comes out this weekend and Don't Look Up comes out this weekend. And You know, sight unseen, you know, we have not reviewed Belfast, the Kenneth Branagh film and potentially, you know, autobiography of his life yeah. is what it seems like. That's my win. It's because of my Irish heritage um, and it just has been getting just rave reviews. I really just want it to win. Um, I need to watch well, yeah, it. Yeah, you're a Kenneth Branagh guy, so we'll see. I love him. I love uh, but, him you know, so Nightmare much. Alley, Guillermo, he's going to have something to say. Yeah. Like, it's going to be competitive. It's going to be contentious so you know I, I i don't necessarily see what gold derby is saying about this being the front runner for for best picture that's mm-hmm. not my personal opinion i wouldn't put it there but i do think it deserves a seat at the table and we'll find out what happens but what if gold derby is like the farmer's almanac like from back they, to the future yeah they they, they, they have it all they have it like all the figured CEO out. is Marty McFly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they already know what's <laughs> happening. Uh, no, it'll be interesting. And, and I think it's also interesting, like this one came out pretty far ahead of, you know, a lot of times we see the Oscar Best Picture winner come out in like the January release window for films. So yeah. this being, you know, December's not like super early, but um, it'll be interesting. Does it, does it last? Does the political power carry it? Um, it'll be very interesting, but... Mm-hmm. Very different scores from me and Kirk. If you watched The Power of the Dog, let us know your score. Let us know your thoughts. Are you are you hashtag Team Kirk, hashtag Team Cam, or somewhere way in the in between? Probably somewhere in between, or maybe you're below Kirk, higher than me. Who knows? But that's what makes this fun. So The Power of the Dog. That's our review for this week. Remember, you can watch it on Netflix, uh, even though you just got, if, you list, if you're listening, you just got every spoiler under the sun on this movie yeah. and it will probably have no effect on you whatsoever <laughs> when the big twist happens at the end. Um, but here we are, here we are, but thank you guys so much for listening. We got a lot of uh, fun and exciting stuff going on right now. We've talked about spilled popcorn. We are going through episode by episode with Hawkeye right now. You can check that out on our podcast. You can check it out on YouTube with all of the videos there, which are a lot of fun to make and pull together. And Kirk and I have a good time with it. We get way into it. Sometimes we are like speculating for 15 minutes and we're like, whoa, yes. whoa, whoa, whoa. We got to pump the brakes. Uh, but it's a good time. And also the Christmas movie bracket. I had somebody reach out to me, a listener reach out and say, Hey, you guys doing a Christmas movie bracket this year? Cause we did last year. Yes, it is under construction i've got my hard hat on i'm reviewing some new entrants from last year you know like does the happiest season make it onto the bracket this year it's a 64 movie bracket it's got a good mix of classics new ones there's a lot there's a lot there um it'll be out soon and we'll debate it furiously till the ends of the earth to determine what our favorite christmas film is so that'll be fun keep an eye out for that and some reviews. I mean, I know we've teased a lot of reviews that haven't ended up happening. I still think some of those will happen, but I think, you know, obviously No Way Home comes out next week. So Kirk and I, we have our tickets. We will be there. Um, yes. West Side Story comes out this weekend. We're going to try to see that, but we will, we will see what makes the cut for the show and what doesn't. If you have thoughts, as always, reach out. Kirk, you got anything else or should we get them out of here? I have nothing else except I really want to say the movie in Spanish again because it's so good. One more time. One last time for effect. El Poder del Perro. Love it. Great R role there, Kirk. Something I've never been able Thank to you. do. I respect it. I respect it. My Spanish name uh, was Raul, so I, was, I had to learn it right Beautiful. away. Just like uh, Bernardo on Coda. 
Roll the R. If you can't <laughs> roll right. the R, don't just call me Mr. V. Don't don't, don't even <laughs> don't try. try. <laughs> All right. We'll get you guys out of here. Thank you so much for listening and watching. If you're on the stream, we appreciate your support. We also appreciate the support of our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, and his band Rhetoric, which you're hearing fade up right now. Take a listen. We will talk to you guys next time. See you then.